0: Hey, welcome back to BU. I am really, really proud of what I'm about to present to you. It really means a lot to me personally because the guest here is such a big deal in general, but it's a big deal to me because this person is someone I admire and I learned from about three years ago when I thought I was going to start writing a book that has been on my heart for many years. Tucker Max owns Scribe Media. He has since sold Scribe Media, but I encountered him because I wanted to invest in myself as an author and find a company that could help me with the parts that I didn't understand, right? The editing and publishing and all that stuff. And I was nervous. And so I found Scribe Media through one of our former guests, Angie Lee. Many of you know who she is. And I was able to meet Tucker on a two-day writing seminar experience. And I was lucky enough that during that experience, when we broke off into pairs, we had an odd number. And he was willing to partner with me. So over the lunch hour, I got to talk to him about the book I wanted to write. And I got advice from him and ran some things by him. And I'm just so impressed with his career and what he has accomplished. And so impressed with the way he teaches. He's so just blunt and real and doesn't hold back. And, you know, one of the edits through Scribe Media is called the Hurt Your Feelings edit. And I would describe Tucker that way. Like, he is the kind of guy who just says it like it is. It's with and in and from and through love. Yet sometimes it stings. But he's telling you the things that most people aren't willing to tell you. The things that you deserve to hear, not that you want to hear. That's my observation of him. And so in that process of that two-day experience, I saw someone who's such an accomplished author and then created a a hugely successful business helping aspiring authors actually become published authors. I never wrote my book and that's gonna be another chapter, so to speak, in my life, yet he left a lasting impact. And so when I launched this podcast in October of 2020, there were just a couple of people that were like dream team guests. I thought, oh, I can't imagine actually them saying yes. You know, one was Lisa Bilyeu and another was Tucker Max. And when we reached out asking for him to be on the podcast, it was an immediate yes. I ended up missing our appointment. I got the schedule wrong. I believe it was a subconscious block because I believe that I didn't feel ready to interview him. And he was so funny and so gracious. He sent an email and basically said... Yeah, Kimberly, my assistant is you know, throwing things all around the room. It's pretty upsetting that you did this. I'm kidding, Jill. It's not a big deal. I literally got some work done, saw that you missed it. No big deal. Let's reschedule. And I liked him even more after that. But I will tell you, the other part of him, and again, I don't know him well at all. But the other part of him that I love, that and the reason he's such a good fit for this podcast, isn't about his accomplishments. It's about the personal transformation that he has you know, not just experience doesn't happen by default, right, by choice through a lot of deep, painful, difficult inner work that a lot of people are not willing to do. And how real and, and transparent he is, even on social media. If you read his blog, if you look at his Instagram account, he's just who he is. And that comes with admitting, you know, that he realized that he was the problem. And we talk about this on BU a lot, that everything that wasn't going well in his life or anything that he didn't like, he had one person to thank for that, and that was him. And I really admire it when people are willing to own their shit like that. And they're willing to call themselves out and say, look, I was the problem. And I fixed my life by looking at myself and doing healing. So in this episode, we are going into some deep stuff, talking about trauma, trauma release, talking about you know, different modalities and different ways of experiencing therapy. One of them is MDMA. I had heard of it, but I had no idea really what it was. I realized that as he was talking, that was also God speaking to me. Because when he described the person who's a perfect candidate for MDMA therapy, he was describing me. So I'm so grateful that he said yes. I'm really excited for you to hear from him and learn from him. You know, we don't talk about a lot of the things that I think most people ask him about on podcast. I wasn't interested in him repeating the old, what some people would call glory days. You know, the years where he was, you know, so popular and he was a celebrity and he wrote books that really, really, really put him on the map for good and not so good reasons. I really wanted to meet the man. I really wanted to hold a space so that he would be able to and be willing to share with you, the listener, the deeper version of him. And many of you, we have male listeners for sure. Most of you are women. I also was excited to have a man share that because we have so many women talking about inner work, but we forget that that there are men like Tucker doing the work. So let, let me read his bio to you. Tucker Max has written four New York Times best selling books. Three of them hit number one. So three different books hit number one on the New York Times bestselling list. His books have sold over four and a half million copies worldwide. He's credited with being the originator of the literary genre, fratire, and is only the fourth writer ever, along with Malcolm Gladwell, Brene Brown, and Michael Lewis, to have three books on the New York Times nonfiction bestseller list at once. So at the same time, three books on the New York Times bestseller nonfiction list. It's, it's just amazing. As I said, he co-founded Scribe Media, the premier professional publishing company that has helped people like David Goggins. I don't know if you know who David Goggins is, but he has the best book. It's called Can't Hurt Me. I would recommend that your kids read it, that you and your spouse read it. He has sold well over 20 million copies of that book. So David Goggins, Tiffany Haddish, and Dan Sullivan, to name a few, published their books. Tucker was nominated to the Time Magazine 100 Most Influential List in 2009. He received his bachelor's degree from the University of Chicago in 98 and graduated from Duke Law School in 2001. Currently, he is living with his beautiful wife, Veronica, and their five children, just had another baby recently, in Dripping Springs, Texas, way out in the middle of nowhere. So it is my honor to introduce you to Tucker Max. And in this podcast, I'll offer my entire journey as a roadmap so that if you're ready, you can finally be you. Hey, everybody. So you heard me talk about Tucker. You've actually heard me talk about Tucker in the past because of my experience in starting to write the book that I bragged about writing for three years. And I'm super honored that he said yes to this interview, especially after I messed up and didn't show for the last appointment. (laughs) Um, I got the funniest email from him about that, but I'm so happy that he's here in front of all of you. And and Tucker, I'm super grateful because I know you probably get asked a lot and you've done a million interviews and I appreciate that you said yes. I really do. And I'm excited about this conversation.
1: Happy to be on.
0: So I was telling Tucker before we hit record that, you know, I do mostly solo episodes and I have some guests and I, from day one, he was on my list. You know, I listed like five people. I went on here. Tucker was on the list. And at that time, it was because I thought I was writing a book and he owns Scribe Media, who I hired to help me write this book. And I was just super impressed by him. But after I set that aside, the reason I knew for sure I wanted him on still, and I guess I'm talking to you too, Tucker, is because when I see you on social media and when I read what you write in your blog, it's so opposite of what people would expect from someone. How do I say this? Like, you know, the whole blue check mark and the, you know, all the notoriety and the fame and all that stuff. It's like, it's so refreshing that you're not self-deprecating. Because that's I used to do that. You, it, you really do give credit to other people. You're yourself. You don't really hide. You don't care if it offends people or if people like you. But you don't do that in an arrogant way. So I really like that about you. So I have a couple things written down. I usually just kind of wing it. But I have a few things I wanted to ask you. Okay. Will you just quickly... I mean, I read your bio. They can read about you. You don't have to tell your whole story. But will you just bring some of them up to speed as far as your background? There's a lot, but
1: yeah. It's a lot. So the stuff that's really relevant to you, I, you know, I wrote a bunch of bestsellers. One of them spent like five or six years in the bestseller list. Helped a bunch of other famous people write books. Started a company that helps people write books. Like you know, David Goggins is one of our clients who did you know one of the best-selling memoirs of all time. Can't hurt me, which still has not outsold my books, but is about to pass them. <laughs> like his his book's been a monster. I think it's coming up on a we just passed the thirty year. 30 year it was up and then so i just left scribe great ceo great exec team they don't really need me anymore and you know i've got a wife and three kids a fourth doing about three weeks and i'm out in a ranch uh about 45 minutes outside of austin and doing my right now i'm not really even started on the next thing i'm just kind of like chilling for a while
0: mm. So I forgot that your wife was expecting. That's exciting. So you're going to have four little ones. And you're... How yeah, old it's are a,
1: you? It's our fourth. It's not that exciting. It's like after a while, you're just like, all right, another baby. Here we <laughs> so, go.
0: <laughs> I think it's exciting. Um, and I can't... Are you, are you... You're in your 40s? I'm 46.
1: Yes. 46.
0: Okay. All right. So I mentioned it on Instagram and you... You responded on there. But I want to talk about this. So when I was inscribed, so for those of you who don't know what it is, so his company helps you write a book. You can either have someone write the book or you can write the book and you get coaching. And I highly recommend it. Even though I haven't written it yet, it's already been super helpful. So in that process, I had this like, I don't know, two day experience and everybody paired up and there was an odd number and I was lucky enough to get Tucker. So over the lunch hour, I got to be one-on-one with him. And I was super nervous to be inscribed, by the way, Tucker, because I was like super comfortable writing by myself because I just like doing it. Like I never was like, oh, I want to write a book because I just, I enjoy writing. But when I got into that group, I was super intimidated. Like all my shit came up. Like I was like, who am I? Like I was nervous. I don't belong here. That's when I realized, okay, maybe I'm not ready. I don't know. Well, then you said something to me that I ended up, putting on Instagram and you commented back and I really appreciated that you noticed it because you know you go along life and you say things to people and you have no idea the impact it has on them I've done a ton of personal development and blah 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 and you said one thing to me that I was like oh my god that was like 10 years of therapy so what you said to me was hey not only are you writing a memoir but you told me a little bit about your life and about your kids and all that make sure you're not writing from your wounds make sure you're writing from your scars And I was like oh yeah you kidding me? I've walked over hot coals. I've done all this. I'm fine. And then I went to write the book. And I realized, oh my God, I like have gushing wounds. Like, what the fuck? I thought, Tucker, I was so arrogant. I have worked so much on myself. And I was like, where is this coming from? Every time I went to write, I'm like, what is wrong with me? Not just am I not ready for the book, but my stuff I was writing about. So I stopped. And I'm like, well, clearly I'm not ready. And that's when I learned about like somatics. You know, I did mindset work for a decade. I didn't mm-hmm. know what that was. So I really did get to a place where now I'm ready to write from that place. But what I thought about on the way here was a lot of people are like living that way, right? They're loving from their wounds inside of those scars. They're marrying that way. They're parenting that way.
1: Almost everybody.
0: Yeah, anything you want to share about that?
1: <laughs> I mean, that's like, I could talk about that for days. Look, the reality is most people have suffered it almost doesn't matter how much trauma, right? Because it, trauma is one of those things where it usually expands to fill the space, right? Like I know people who've been through like horri- stuff that's unbelievable, truly like, oh my God, I can't believe that that actually happened to a human. And I know people who like have been through stuff where it's like, yeah, yeah, I mean that sucks, but really on the scale, it's not that bad. And And the funny thing is they both kind of feel like they have the same amount of trauma, even though objectively they don't. Because, you know, it's like uh, if I have to run two miles and I think that's the longest distance on earth and you have to run a hundred and you're like, all right, I, I can probably do it in you know, eight hours, but it's going to be hard. If we evaluate it the same, then it is the same, right, for us, right? And so here's the, the reason I bring that up. The reality is almost everyone suffered all kinds of trauma and just has not dealt with it, has not dealt with it at all. I mean, we live in a traumatizing culture. And a traumatizing society, a traumatizing civilization that heaps all of this crap on people and then tells them that it's normal and okay. And so we all walk around traumatized. Everything we do, everything most people do is about avoiding their feelings, which is really about avoiding, avoiding some uncomfortable trauma that they've dealt with, right? Whether it's, you know, the obvious ones, addiction, TV, alcohol hooking up, but then like the ones that get celebrated, success, money, fame. And I'm saying that as someone who is absolutely 100% fell into that category when I was like, uh, you know, trying to be famous or being famous and all that nonsense. 100%. Yeah. And I didn't know it either. I didn't know it until well into my 30s. Most people don't really ever figure it out, sadly. Right? They just they live their life from their wounds instead of realizing, Oh wow, I'm wounded. Maybe I want to chill for a second and try and get this fixed before I keep bleeding over everyone or just bleeding over myself. But that's just the reality. Man. I mean, that that is, it is one of those weird things that like when you wake up to it, you're like, Oh my God. You know, it's sort of like, you know, the, the, the iconic metaphor about a, a, a fish being in water, you know, like, The one fish is like, hey, guys, how's the water? And the other two fish are like, what's water, right? (laughs) Sort of like that. Until you see it, until you feel it, you're like, no, this is how, isn't everyone sad and anxious and uh, distracted all the time? No, (laughs) you don't have to be that way. It just, it's not always the easiest thing to get through it. But then once you do, you're like, wow, this is way better. (laughs) I
0: like this a lot more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there was something I uh, really painful that I was writing about. And I look back at it now and I'm like, oh my God, if I had not done what I did over the last year, I would have hated that book. Like it was just like the story, was just so gushing. And yeah, women would have been like, oh my God, and am going to cry. But it's like, it's just this totally different view now that I have of it. Yeah, yeah, it was awful and, right? And then there's all the, you know, like the mindset work, because people wake up to what you just said. But a lot, in my opinion, the whole like coaching world and personal development world, a lot of it is like, suck it up, you know, change your mindset, which is how I used to be, by the way.
1: All of it, all of the coaching and personal development world, I think almost without exception, are people who are projecting their stuff onto other people. And so so like someone who's 10 steps in the process is telling people who are six, seven, and eight steps in the process what they should be doing to get to step nine, because they're a step ten. But like most, very few of them that I see, the vast majority that I see are LARPing, healing. You know, they're live action role playing. They're they're act, they're faking it. They're acting it out, or even if they're not intentionally faking it, like I would actually say most of them, a lot of them believe what they're spewing. But, like, they're completely unhealed, disastrous messes who are avoiding their stuff by telling other people what to do. And I'm saying this to someone who knows most of the big names. Like, I know them personal, Not all of them, of course, but name like whatever the top 20. Like, I know at least 10 of them. Like, I know them real well, mm-hmm. you know? And like, I can tell you, like, yeah, that dude, let me tell you about how, what his real life was like. And I don't even mean it judgmental. I get it. Man, yeah. Right. Like I don't like I feel bad for him. Like I can think of one dude who's you know as big as it gets in that space, and literally maybe the biggest name in the space. He's a disaster. Like I think he's on his I forget if he's on his third or fourth marriage. His kids hate him. Everything about his life is about his image and his success and his money. He doesn't. There's no reality to him. Literally, the, the guy has to wake up and go dive into freezing cold water just to squelch the agony to get up and get moving i mean i feel bad for the dude you know and you know i would feel a lot worse for the dude if he wasn't spewing a lot of nonsense to a lot of people although some of the stuff he says is brilliant but don't get me wrong he's the type of dude that like he'll hear brilliant things and then he'll repeat them back you know like 20 percent of what he says is straight out of the polykin it's like what buddha said is straight out of the New Testament. It's like Jesus, right? And so, like, he has shit that he says. It's like amazing. And it really is like, that is brilliant. And there are definitely people he's helped. But at the same time, it's like, no, it's the weirdest thing, man. Like, the ones I know, there are exceptions, but the ones I know that are really healed and have their shit together for the most part, they definitely are the ones that they're broadcasting it in the Instagram y influencer. Like, there's some, like, Pima showed like she's a Buddhist monk. She actually has her shit together. There's some people who LARP the Buddhism thing too, right? So don't like, Oh, they say they're Buddhists are great. No, there's all kinds of sociopaths to play that game. But she's like, she's legit. Like I've met her and hung out with her and I was like, Oh my goodness. Like you can feel the calmness and the contentment and the serenity and the love radiate off of her in the purest way. There's no bullshit in her. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, oh, wow. Like, I get it. Like another one who I only met him uh, tangentially, but it's like, you know, some people you just know immediately. He's a Vietnamese monk named Thich Nhat Hanh. He's pretty famous in in those circles. He's another one. He's like, he's written some hugely famous Buddhist books. He's another one where I met him and I'm like, man, I want to hang out with this dude. (laughs) Like I I could learn a lot from this dude, right? And it sucks too, because it's like, ugh. But that's actually part of the transition, I think, is that because someone who's at step 10, even if they are bullshitting, even if I'm trying to do it the right way and, and really like not trying to bullshit, and I'm on step six. I'm just making you know things up in terms of steps. But like, it's like, oh, I can still learn from that person, even if I realize when I get to their level or beyond them, that they were mouthing a lot of it and they didn't actually live it. Okay, cool. At the end of the day, they're the ones who are going to have to deal with that, not me. I've seen this a million times where, where the dude I was talking about who's very, very famous, a huge number of the people I know who really have it together emotionally were fans of his early in their development and then outgrew him. It, that's okay. That's how it works sometimes.
0: Yeah, I don't know if it's the same person I'm thinking of, but there are people that I've paid as coaches who have told me that they were big names that are pretty famous that they also used to follow. And then they're like, yeah, no. You know, they yeah. kind of grow out of them. What do you think about this since we're on that subject? So for me... If someone is doing that but they're transparent about it, I have so much more respect for them. So like I've recently Hold on.
1: that's there's nothing wrong with it. Like who yeah. Pima Showdrun talks about her anger and all her issues all the time. Having issues is not never the problem. The the problem is are you being real about who and what you are? Yeah. You know, cause there's even a game to that. This became popular last few years is playing the authenticity vulnerability game, <laughs> you know, like yeah. Oh, I you know, I mean I know this one dude who tells the same bankruptcy story like fifty times and it's like, dude, enough. We know you lost all your money. Like, stop it, man. It's like he just keep like to the point where I'm like, You've never done anything else wrong? Like this is your only thing, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> or that's just the only thing you feel comfortable talking about. Yeah, no, there's nothing wrong. Everyone I know who really has it together, of course has problems. They just don't pretend they don't exist, they don't hide from them. But they also don't bring them up and throw them in front of people and be like, oh, I'm amazing because I suffer. Yes. It's just like, oh, if we're going to talk about this, cool, I'll tell you. And if not, then it doesn't come up, you know?
0: I wouldn't claim to know that whole space like super, super well. But some of the people that I've paid who have been my coaches that I have so much respect for, Tucker, I mean, they're right there in Austin, you probably know them, but Christine Hassler... Uh,
1: I know Christine really well. Oh, do you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. She's yeah, been my coach for a year. She's very nice.
0: She's amazing. So Christine, and then Steph, her husband. So they are as real as it gets. And what I I don't know
1: her oh, husband. you.
0: Well, you look at Christine. You can imagine that her husband is just he's amazing. She. What I love about both of them, and what I love about Preston and Alexi, is that yes, they've got shit. They've got that, like you said, but they say it. They talk about it, not in a way. I, again, I don't have words for it either, but it's not in the cheesy "Let me show you. Let me be so open." But they talk about that. Like I just interviewed Preston, and he was like talking about the stuff that he still comes up against all the time. And I'm like, that those are the people I'll pay. Those are the people I want to learn from. These are the people I want to emulate. And I will say that's what I was trying to say about you in the beginning. It's not this fake, oh, I used to be a dick and now I'm a great father and I'm a, i am you mean, you could do that. I mean, I could, sh- write. we could write the script right now. Look at me now. And, but it's like, I was just reading before we started some of your blog entries and one of them was about your new CEO. And you were talking about how you used to lead and you were even showing numbers. This was me and this is now him. And and that's just, that's the quote, real talk that you just do not see enough of. And that's what turns me off to the whole space. Like, I ended up enrolling in Preston, Alexi, Christine, and Steph started a company, Elementum Coaching Institute. And I enrolled and graduated. I did that for six months. That was part of my own healing, right? Yep. And in that, they talked about the difference between therapists, coaches, and then good therapists and good coaches. And it was what we're talking about. So, um
1: What did they say the difference was? I, mean, I, I don't know. I don't know their program. Well, well
0: it, 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 essentially what you just said, that so many people out in that space are not willing to admit, I'm human, I'm fucked up too. Do, I'm not your guru. Do not think that I have everything together. I'm just a little further along than you. Like they say that. They say, I have maybe a few steps ahead of you, right? These are the things I've done. I don't have all the answers. I'm gonna help you find the answers. Like you are the one who can dig and find the answers and I'm just gonna like be here and kind of hold you because I've done a little more work than you have.
1: That is true. No one can heal anyone else. Mm -mm. You just, uh, at best, you can maybe uh, tell people what you've done and what you've learned. And then if they can use those tools to help themselves in their own healing journey, that's true. That's 100% correct.
0: And if I'm being transparent about myself, so the way I used to be, so I was a nurse who got into network marketing. I've got the story, you know, made it big and did so well and went from broke and divorced the alcoholic husband. And I used to tell that story, just like you talked about that guy. That was me. I had my story and I would tell it over and over again. What I did not realize is that I was such, I don't know what words you used earlier, but I was such a mess. And I was like bleeding all over everybody and just offending people and hurting people and didn't know it. Because I had done all this mindset work and I did affirmations all the time, and I got out of the gutter, and I, and I now I look back and I just laugh at myself. I'm like, oh my god! Like I'm even my kids, because I told you I'm writing about that. My kids would laugh at me, and I couldn't see it.
1: Mm-hmm. A lot of times, that's just kind of the way it works. Like if you come from a really hard place or a thing that was really difficult, challenging for you, sometimes you got to take a long road out of there. You know, <laughs> sometimes it's not a super direct road. And sometimes, not sometimes, almost always, you're going to make mistakes along the way. That's just kind of how it Like is. I'm trying to think, man. I don't know many people who've done anything who didn't make mistakes along the way. I've learned now at this point to start to see the humor in it in the moment because I've come far enough where I look back enough that I'm like, oh, okay. I don't care how awesome I think I am in that moment. I'm going to find this funny or I'm going to find something ridiculous or sad or whatever about myself or some thought I had or some behavior pattern or something at this point. So, like, I might as well just find it now. Yeah, Like, I'm not great at it yet, but I'm still good enough or it's happened enough that I'm like, all right, this is the pattern. Like, no matter how much I don't want this to be the pattern, this is the pattern. And then the funny thing is, the more you do that, the less in your own head you are and then the less foolish and ridiculous and hurtful to others you are. It's a. It's actually a pretty good, it becomes a pretty good cycle once you get into it.
0: I'll tell you the cycle I go into once I start that cycle. I spin off into the one of completely criticizing myself and judging myself. Like it is, it's ridiculous. Like I recognize it. Oh, there she is again. There's the pattern. And then I have to do so much work. And I mean work to not go into this tailspin of I don't have the you're a piece of shit story, right? But it's pretty close. You know, it's like why are you doing this? Right, you know, and it's exhaust. I exhaust
1: myself. Whose voice is that? Have you, do you, have you ever done like any inner child work and really delve like some deep therapeutic work on that stuff? That stuff is usually it's not easy to get to, but it's a pretty straight line to do it once you're willing.
0: Yeah, so I will tell you that I've still avoided some of the deeper inner child work. Like I've done some right. with Christine, and I obviously learned about it in Elementum, and I admittedly have avoided. Some of it, like literally have on my list for the new year, finally fucking sit down and do these five exercises she tells you to do because they're so uncomfortable.
1: Why'd you avoid them? What do you think?
0: Okay, so here's what I'll tell you. When I would just try to visualize and greet my inner child, it was months of not even, I couldn't even see her. Like it was just fuzzy. And I just had this bad feeling. Like, you know, whether I'm in my home as a child or just trying to connect with her or see her, It was so hard for me and painful, and then it got to the point where now I can find her and like say kind things to her and like soothe her and comfort her. But that's as far as I've gone. To answer your question, I think it's because I'm afraid.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, it's also it's tough if you come from a a heavily traumatized place and you don't have any good models for compassion, you don't have any good models for for self love, for self care all those sorts of things. That's tough. It's not easy to do. Like if you if no one ever did that with you, it's not an easy thing to do for yourself.
0: Oh for sure. You can
1: do it. But the problem is just the underlying not just the underlying stories. That's the problem with mindset work. Is that that people who talk about mindset work only fail to understand that the the human mind is not a computer. You cannot just Programming. Mindset work, like frameworks and mindset work and stuff, it's super important. It's great, but if you're not actually doing the underlying emotional feeling, the energetics of emotion, then all the mindset work in the world does at the end of the day is push away. It's like not paying your bills. They're just stacking up. You Mm -hmm. know, like you gotta kinda you gotta do both. I mean, I know plenty of people who only do the emotional work and never think anything through. Like you, you see a lot of the new age people that are all about the emotions and the energetics, right? And they, they don't really like, oh, yeah, thinking doesn't matter. It's like, no, that's not true. And then you have the mindset people who like basically think they can think their way out of bad feelings. Like, no, that's not all the affirmations in the world aren't going to help you if you aren't feeling your emotions, you know? And so like uh, putting those two together is super important. Let me ask you though. So you said you're afraid of that, which I get when I realized like inner child work was one of the major things I had to do. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Like <laughs> I <do>. really?
0: <laughs> I said that
1: too. I was like, no. And then I was like, yeah, but so let me ask, do you have like a good, you don't have to get into details if you don't want to, but do you have a good support system around you? for oh, this? Like yeah. a good integration practice because that's, extremely vulnerable and difficult and what i've found is that like my wife has been very important for me she didn't really do much it's it, like actively right there's not like a lot she's doing it's just more that her presence and her support and all that kind of stuff she's pretty good at creating a safe space i have to do the work but like it's easy to do it with her creating a space as opposed to like Doing this stuff on your own is like, man, I don't know if it's impossible, but I don't know who can do this on their own, man. Relational trauma, you pretty much have to deal with it in the context of some relation. They don't have to be the person that, that hurt you. It can be different people, but man, it's tough to solve relational trauma outside of a relationship.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's why, to answer your question, that's why I hired Steph and then hired Christine. Because... I didn't want to do it on my own. I knew I couldn't. And I do have so much trauma from my childhood. I mean, so much. And the other thing is, in the past couple of years, just in the last two years, even though I have a great life, like on paper, I had a lot of shit going on that I've shared openly on this podcast. But you know, I've told you a little bit. Remember, my daughter got into trouble. She got pregnant. I'm at 48 years old. Raising a baby, you might go, yeah, me too, but I didn't want to. (laughs) You know, so it was a lot. So I think that's another reason why I was doing a lot of work, but the deepest, biggest stuff I needed to do, some of the inner child stuff, that was where the fear came from too. It's like, God, I have so much going on in my life right now. I don't know if I want to do that and that. I've learned to trust myself and trust my body. My body would pull back, like Steph would go to do breath work with me, and I would just have a bigger reaction than I would expect for. Pretty low level breath work. And he's like, I'm glad you're paying attention to your body. You're not ready. And now I am because I needed to get through, you know, these layers first to be able to do that. But it's so funny. Cause I didn't expect to talk about this, but when we talked about the personal development space, I would say same now that I've, I've really started diving more into like a spiritual path for myself I used to be super super religious diehard christian and then now i'm you know i would say my christian friends are probably like she's gotten a little woo and weird but i see the same thing don't you that i see with the personal development space i'm like so many fakers so many (laughs) posers so many i'm going to do ayahuasca ceremonies every single friday but i can't fucking pay my bills all my relationships suck and i'm going to tell you that you need to listen to me
1: I mean, yeah, like, I just don't pay attention to those people. Like, yeah, of course, of course those people exist. But I, I'm at the stage now where, like, I don't have people like that in mind. Like, even tangentially. People who want to do spiritual bypass, like, cool, you don't get to be in my orbits or my universe or interact with me at all. That's not, mm, no. It's just not, again, I don't mean it judgmentally. <laughs> I mean, I can remember, I'm 46 now. I can remember when I was early, mid-30s, like I had a lot of friends who were very successful, had a lot of their shit together, and like they only wanted to hang out with me in very limited, certain context. It's like, hey, let's go party or go do this or go do that. Call a doctor, right? Otherwise, no. And it never bothered me, but I could never understand it. Now I understand why. Because <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah. If you're coming from a relatively healthy place, me at thirty-two, no I, I, no, I wouldn't want to be around that dude either. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and again, not judgmentally, not like he's a bad dude. It's just like he brings an energy and an approach that just doesn't fit. I get it. Like, so I don't have any of those people in my life. I don't, I don't talk to them. I don't deal with them. I just like the only people in my life are the ones who are at a minimum. They're on the path doing their work. It's not like, oh, everyone's better than me in my life. I don't mean it in a hierarchical way, but everyone in my life, they're all people that are, that are doing the work. Yeah. Cause otherwise it's like, ugh, I don't want to, I don't want to deal with like, it really is a weird thing. Right? As you start to progress and really dive in, one of the things I had to realize this happened twice. Like I, I had to basically cycle out entire groups of friends and not bad people, just like, oh, that dude is stuck and he's happy where he's stuck where he's not moving. It's like, all right, man, it sucks because I love him and I, I want to hang out. I'm moving forward and he's not. And it's like, we don't have really anything in common anymore.
0: I so get that. I, I I just had this conversation with my husband. It might've been yesterday. So I came across, I was scrolling through social media and in the story, I saw a friend of mine. I mean, she's was a really good friend, Tucker, I would say for seven years. And we were in business together, but we really genuinely care about each other. And I saw her with people who I used to work with. And that when I was, I'm totally out of network marketing now. And when I was in that whole arena and I looked and I was like, TK, you could not pay me to be in that room right now. And it sounds arrogant, but I love them. But just like, like, right. You just vibrate differently. And I know there were people who said that about me probably today and 10 years ago. Yeah, it is an interesting thing. It's super interesting.
1: There's a bunch of masterminds that I was in, mainly for my business, but I learned some from and I met some cool people. But like I'm, I'm done with all of them. Like I'm in one that's kind of local to Austin that's like all fathers because that's still like and there's a lot of really really good dads in there that or either it's like it's a group that that I bring a lot to, but I also have a lot to learn from some of those dudes and especially because a lot of them have been dads for know 15 20 years and then another like really really high-end business group where i'm like one of the poor dudes in it and it's really like i come in and i'm like no i flew commercial i don't know sorry they're all looking (laughs) at me like like i smell i was like well it's first class like you're just closer to the toilets um that's about it though yeah and it's again it's not a judgmental thing all things have stages
0: And isn't it cool how you see yourself attracting different people too? Like I I told Christine, I didn't want to be friends with people in Austin because it looked cool because I heard, oh, there's this great community there. I'm 50. I've been through so much shit in my life. I don't have time to play that game. And I will tell you, I've just recently become friends with your friends with her partner, Angie, Angie Lee.
1: Oh yeah, of course. Clay. Clay, I mean, I know Angie pretty well, I don't know Clay Clay at all.
0: I've never met him. And Angie and I literally just connected on Instagram, we've messaged each other. And now we're, we're, I would say we're friends. And we were texting just recently about the fact that when I went to Austin, I said, Angie, I met people there through, they're all somehow connected through Christine. Like, I've like, these are the kind of people I want to do life with for the rest of my life. I love all the rest, but these are the people. And I realized I attracted them because of the growth I've done in the last year. And a year ago, they'd have said, oh, yeah, Jill's really nice. Or Jill's had a little success. She said she's, you know, had a hard life and she's seemed to turn herself around. They would have not wanted to spend time with me. And now I look at the people I'm attracting and it just feels so it, it may sound obvious, but it wasn't obvious to me. It wasn't until there's someone I just intuitively feel like you would be good friends with who lives there. His name's Cal Callahan. I don't know if you know anybody who knows him. Cal but Callahan? Yeah. I feel like you'd really like him. On my gut, you guys would like each other. He has a really cool podcast. He was a trader in Chicago, retired at 50, came to Austin, wife and three kids, right around our age. He's my age, just turned 50. Side note, you should look him up.
1: Okay. Yeah. I'm looking, I, I don't think I've met him. Which is weird because it, right, it looks like we run in a lot of the same circles. He has like a ton of the same friends.
0: Oh, yeah. The Great Unlearned. It's a great podcast. He, he just does it as a hobby, but it's freaking amazing. It's so good. But I stumbled across him. I realize now I attracted him, right? But I stumbled across him through whatever channels. And then I looked up his wife. And I was so attracted to her because she had like eight posts and like hardly new followers. I'm like, yes, I like her. But I just liked her essence through Instagram. So I asked her to be on the podcast. She's like, why do you want me on here? And I'm like, I don't know. I just like you. So we had this deep, long conversation. I told her, "Okay, Peyton, I'm turning 50. And I feel like you would probably know a guy, right? Like, I don't know these, like, spiritual, I'll call them hippy-dippy type people where I live now. But I know you're connected to people that, like, you know, they might beat a drum or something. (laughs) I want to do some kind of ceremony for my 50th. She's like, what do you mean? I'm like, I don't know. I feel like when I come there to do these podcasts, I want to do something that's spiritual. Do you know someone I could hire? She messaged me the next day and she's like, I'm the guy. I said, what do you mean? She goes, Jill, I've been hosting something called a red tent for 18 years. And you need to have a red tent. So here, Tucker, I go to Austin. This woman I've never met, Cal's wife, throws this unbelievable celebration for me. And it's called a red tent. It was unreal, life-changing. And I had not met anyone in that red tent before that night. They were just people either she invited or I saw through Instagram. I'm like, you seem nice. Like Angie was supposed to come, but she got sick. And that's just an illustration of manifesting the work I've done in the last year. The mindset work, yeah, it was helpful. But oh my God, no way. It was the somatic work. Right, It was the embodiment work. It was really unloading a lot of shit that was driving my bus. So mm-hmm. a- enough about me. I've talked about myself more than than you on this show.
1: It's your show. It's following you.
0: <laughs> okay, so what I wanted to ask you based on that is you could have stayed where you were and you could have just said, look, I'm running off the sunset. I've found this great wife. I don't want to live that old life anymore. I'm glad I had it. but But then you've gotten, in my opinion, like way deeper and more connected to yourself. Was that... The work you've done with what's it called in the office with the psychotherapist? Is it a form of plant medicine or it's a
1: MDMA? What's it
0: called again? Yes, yes, MDMA. MDMA therapy? Was yeah. that like the big thing for you, or was that just another thing? Like, when did you start learning about all the re- chin or child work and all that stuff?
1: I've never done anything more important in my life than MDMA. Therapy. Mm. People are like, "What about what about marrying your wife?" I'm like, I probably wouldn't be married to her still, you know, and it's <laughs> against her. It's more important than your kids. Yeah, would be a shitty father without that. Mm. Like, absolutely, unequivocally. Uh, and I had done a ton of therapy and all kinds of different modalities before I found MDMA therapy. And then it was like, that was the absolute game changer. It's about three and a half years ago I started. And then that catapulted me into the rest of psychedelic therapy. I've done you know, psilocybin therapy, LSD therapy, and then. Those are the, really the three main ones. And then ketamine as well, uh, which I pair with MDMA usually. i tried some of the others. Most of them weren't uh, all that great for me. Ayahuasca was really good for me, but I waited three years before I did it. Like I didn't do it early. A lot of people like ayahuasca is like, you know, I mean, we probably both know the same types of people who done ayahuasca 50 times and they're still just as fucked up as, you know. Uh, it's very easy to get in spiritual bypass with some of the higher medicines, right? It's like what we were talking about earlier. If you really want to get in and do the work, you're actually better off starting with the, the simpler, quote, easier medicines like uh, MDMA and psilocybin. And that that's mainly what I've been doing. And I used it, I mean, like all just trauma therapy, all of it for the last three and a half years. And it's been, there's nothing I've done that's been more important, mm. more game changing for me. Nothing. Wow. It's the thing.
0: I've seen you write about it a little bit and I knew it was important, but I didn't know it was that important.
1: It's nothing.
0: Wow. Do you feel like people will know if they're ready for that or if they're ever open to it? Because I wouldn't do it just because you said to, but I have felt for probably six months or so after doing a lot of... I mean, let me tell you, breathwork was scary as shit to me. Breathwork would be like an ayahuasca thing for me. Like it was. If you do
1: breathwork right, it's intense. It was so
0: intense and... I just had my first in-person breathwork session with Steph at Christine's house when I was in Austin. And oh my God, I mean, Tucker, I mean, it was like I was possessed. So I knew I wasn't ready for anything else. But just in the past six months, I'm like, I totally could see myself going down that path, obviously with advice from people I trust, et cetera. But what would you say to people about that whole thing?
1: Okay. So actually, it's it's funny to ask me this now because I'm literally finishing up. The Beginner's Guide to Psychedelic Medicine, which I'm going to put out soon, which is sort of like for people like you who are like, I'm interested, but I don't really know enough. And I, I, Tell me how to think about this field, not tell me what to do, because I would never psychedelic medicine, especially I never, ever, ever tell people they should do it. It's so funny, people will hear me rave about it for me. And then they'll say like, Oh, so you think I should do it? I'm like, I never said that. <laughs> never. Because here's the thing. There's two big things you got to understand about psychedelic medicine. One is that it is not a magic pill. Like, a lot of people have this perception, especially with ayahuasca, but but with almost any of them, any of the various medicines. Oh, I'm going to go do this, and then everything's going to be better. That is not true. In fact, here's what I'm going to tell you. If you have a lot of shit to deal with, psychedelic medicine will almost always make things way harder before they get easier. Like you're not going into the Elysian fields to dance in the sunset with the angels. You might get a little bit of that. You know, what I mean that metaphorically, of course. You might get a little bit of that, like at times. But like if you got a lot of shit that you gotta deal with, you're going the opposite direction first. Almost almost always. Like you you know, for every ten minutes you get of, you know, transcendent connecting to source and to the universe and all that, which you get and it's amazing for every 10 minutes of that you're getting hours of like oh remember that time your mom you know left you in the cold and beat you or whatever the fuck you you know like whatever horrible shit happened that you've been pushing away don't want to feel here you go time to feel it (laughs) it's no joke yeah do not go into this lightly do not go in thinking it's a magic pill do not go in casually like if i'm making any prescription it's the other way now I will tell you, I got in eyes wide open. I came in with a very strong therapeutic background, having done everything else, almost very little other things. I mean, I did, you know, talk therapy for 40 years, going four times a week, all that. I got in with good guides who really knew what they were doing, who understood me, who knew how to help me and lead me. But it's like exactly what we talked about before. A lot of people have this perception too. It's oh you find a great guide, then they talk to you during the stuff. No. The best guides give you the medicine and hold space. Mm-hmm. And everything else is you. Like you're there doing the work. Like you are there. MDMA specifically. What's so great about that? I, I, for people who come to me who are interested, I always tell them that the, I started with MDMA. And I started there because I talked to a bunch of people who have been in these fields for years, like a lot of the researchers now, some of the names that are starting to become popular are the people I talk to. And they were like, start with MDMA. Right? And the reason is, there's two big reasons. One is that it's the by far the gentlest of all the medicines. Right? Like, you take three grams of mushrooms, you are on a fucking ride for five or six hours and you are not getting off.
0: Okay, can I interrupt for a second? I, yeah. I'm glad you said that. Because I have not a sort of becoming a friend who I really admire, very successful, really like her, and she just had her first plant medicine journey, I know as they call it, and it was with mushrooms. And I'm like, I had the worst experience in college. I, I'm not ever doing that. Like terrifying. No, thank you. Well, and I,
1: yeah, no. Someone like you who comes from a lot of trauma, mushrooms can often be one of the worst places to start.
0: Interesting. Yeah, because uh, yeah,
1: um, it was not right, fun. especially. But look, all a bad trip is, is when you aren't ready for what comes up. You aren't ready for it or willing to deal with it, right? And so, yeah, if you don't think you're traumatized and you're deeply traumatized and you're like a college-age kid and you take mushrooms, it's going to be hell and darkness.
0: I did that twice.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It's going to be horrific.
0: It was horrible. And so I
1: would highly, highly recommend against that for, for especially young people. No, mushrooms are great. I love mushrooms. But mushrooms are not usually the best place to start for most people. Mushrooms are LSD, like once you were on that ride, you are it's like a, a roller coaster. You ain't getting off. Like you're on. And MDMA is not like that at all. It's extremely gentle. Mm. Even when you're on it, you can essentially modulate the effects, right? So like, you know, if you have your eye shade on, you're laying back, the music's on, and you're surrendered, it's very strong. But like it gets to be too much pull off the eye shades sit up and like the impact goes down like 80 percent Oh wow, you know? like, that's good it, enough. It, it is very very gentle it's there's a say mdma is always your friend and so like that's one of the best things about it now as you get more experience if you have a lot of defenses it's one of the worst things about it because it doesn't really push you mm-hmm. to do deep work it just kind of You either surrender or you don't, right? Sort of like a breeze, you know? Like if you step behind a wall, you don't feel it. You get to decide. The other reason MDMA is a great place for most people to start is because it's not actually a psychedelic medicine in the true sense. Like it is not a tryptamine derivative. Molecularly, it is on its own. Uh, It is very, very different from all the others are essentially tryptamine derivatives, but not MDMA. It is extremely different. And, and it's a methamphetamine derivative, you know, methyl dioxy methamphetamine is what is MDMA. You are in your right mind the whole time. You know, your name, you know what time it is, you know, where you are. I, thought, I feel sharp as hell on it, but it has one real purpose. You know, like mushrooms are a multi-tool, man. Like depending on the dosage and the set setting, they can do all kinds of different things. It's a true psychedelic, right? Like LSD is and, and et cetera. MDMA is trauma. MDMA is like a scalpel that has can cut one thing, and that is trauma. I
0: did not know this. Like,
1: it is only really for trauma. And I have heard uh, researchers, like doctor researchers say, I don't think we could create a molecule that's better for helping humans bring up and deal with trauma. Wow. It is the thing. I go, there's an amazing book about MDMA. It's called A Dose of Hope. Okay. Not by me. Uh, I wish I'd read it. Dan Engel, uh, Dr. Dan Engel. He's a good friend of mine. He's one of the dudes I got a lot of the advice from. So, like, he's one of the dudes I talked to him about. He wrote a book. It's essentially a parable about a person who goes through their first three MDMA journeys. And it is absolutely astounding how good that book is and how easy it is to read and how accurate. I'm telling you someone who's three and a half years in who's probably done, I don't know, 10 or 15 MDMA journeys, how incredibly accurate that book is. Okay. That is the book. So if you're interested, I would actually... I've gotten some stuff. I've got some stuff on my site that's okay. I of opus, That's the thing. It's, it just came out a few months ago. Okay. It's amazing. Jill, I'll tell you, here's the type of person that MDMA is best for someone who has a good therapeutic background a good therapeutic base they are committed to doing their work they have a lot of trauma and they're having problems getting to the core of the trauma through the therapeutic modalities they're using or like they're too it's like it's almost feels like too much like meditating is overwhelming right meditation is overwhelming breath work is overwhelming etc if that's the case mdma is For those types of people, MDMA is nearly the perfect thing because, in short, what this is a very simplistic explanation, but what it does is it triggers your brain to dump all its serotonin at once. And so you feel the, the safest you've ever felt, most loved you've ever felt, which seems like that's amazing. How can that help you cure, cure trauma or deal with trauma? Because when your, your body and your brain feel that way, it's like, oh, I've got all this stuff, trauma. It's safe for me to bring it up. Now, don't get me wrong, Jill. Like, the first time I did, like, I felt this amazing love and whatever, and then I like surrendered to it, and then all this shit, came. <laughs> like, it was like, whoa. But the book describes this really well. If you surrender and you you let yourself feel that stuff, some of it will be awful and terrifying. Some of it will be nowhere near as bad as you thought it would be. Like the expectation of it was way worse than the actual whatever. But then you can let it go. That's the only way to deal with trauma, and all the exercises you do, and all the—they're all just different ways of enabling you to bring this up, so that you can ex- have the experience and then release it. MDMA is perfectly designed to help people do that.
0: I am so glad we talked about this because I just had a hunch to bring it up, and I have been curious, and I didn't even remember that it was called MDMA, which is so funny. But now I know, and as you're talking. I realized that's me. I mean, I'm a perfect candidate for it. Of course, my intuition is calling me to look into it.
1: Go, go read that book. If you or anyone else listening reads that book, A Dose of Hope, if you decide, if you, you have intuition or it call, calls you or you decide you want to try it, you or any of your listeners, reach out to me, TuckerMax tuckermax.gmail.com is my email. I know two guides who will take blind referrals. Like, I know you, Jill. So I know like 20 guys that I could possibly refer you to who, like, you know, because it's illegal, right? So it's an underground thing still. Only ketamine is legal. MDMA therapies in state street clinical trials are going to be legalized probably this year or next year. But I know a bunch of them. For you, I could refer you to any one of 20, but in your list, there's only two out there who take blind referrals. One's in Tennessee, one's in New York. I'm happy to refer and I don't make any money from this obviously. They're like these two true believers who basically risk their freedom to help people because they both used it and wow. you know went through their whole process with it and it changed their lives and now they kind of sit for other people. Um, happy to 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 make that referrals.
0: Thank you so much. Thanks for your time. This was such a great conversation.
1: Of course. My pleasure. Happy to help Jill.
0: All right, take care. Thanks Tucker.